0: Welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps on one of our greatly appreciated radio syndicates across the country, or maybe you found us on the podcast, which can be found anywhere podcasts can be found, and also at greenmajority.ca. However, you're listening to us, thanks so much for joining us. I am Stephen Hostetter, and I'm here with a special hour-long climate strike episode because today is the day of the climate strike at least here in toronto and i am so stoked to be joined uh, by two of the organizers megan bro and siegfried hemming from friday's for future toronto super excited to have you both on and thanks so much for joining us
1: Thank yeah
2: you, for sure Liz. Liz. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no worries all right so Let's start with a bit of context just from the two of you. And we can start with you, Megan, and then go to and then go to Siegfried. What inspired you personally to get involved in joining the climate strike?
2: I think growing up like most kids my age, global warming as we used to call it, but we now know it's a lot more than just our planet warming. It was always a topic of conversation. I just hadn't realized how urgent was until I actually started organizing, which really just goes to show how inaccessible this information and knowledge is about the climate crisis. But once I started organizing, I just couldn't leave because I started learning about how interconnected all of these issues are and how urgent we need climate action. And that's why I personally got involved.
1: I personally became involved in environmentalism specifically about four or so years ago when I became vegan. I had learned about veganism through social media and during educating myself on the animal agriculture system, it became increasingly clear to me how interlinked, Megan said, the climate crisis is with other things like the animal agriculture industry. So I ended up doing a deep dive on climate change and the impacts of meat and dairy and deforestation, overfishing, plastic pollution, water crisis, and indigenous issues because Megan said, they are all super interconnected. That's why we say climate justice, not just climate change. And so from there, I turned my anger into action and made several lifestyle changes. And then along with that, I joined the climate justice movement and became an advocate for veganism as well as climate justice.
0: And just for context, because our listeners can't actually see you, did this both
1: happen in high school for the two of you or was it later? For me, it was high school. Yeah, I went vegan when I was 15 years old. I'm now 18.
2: Yeah, same for me in grade nine. So I was like fifteen, fourteen.
1: You, the two of you are working quite
0: cleanly and directly with on this climate strike that is happening, you know, today. And so, what if you tell me, starting
1: with you, Siegfried, and then to meet you, Megan. What do, does this year's climate strike in? So for this year, global climate strike on the 24th, Fridays for Future chapters all over the world. It is an international organization, so all over the globe will be striking from school as well as work to march, to protest, to do whatever. For Toronto specifically local chapter Fridays for Future Toronto, we are meeting at Queen's Park at 1230 for a quick rally. Then we are marching with signs, with chants, with some music intermixed within the march through Toronto, downtown Toronto. And then we are meeting back at Queen's Park for some local musicians, including myself, to play some tunes. And uh, that's what's happening.
2: Yeah, and more specifically, we're demanding that the root causes of the climate crisis are being addressed and decarbonize our economy. That's why we're striking under the title, Uproot the System, because we recognize that many socioeconomic issues are interconnected with the climate crisis.
0: And so why do you think it's so important that you be a part of the climate movement? And I think start with you, Megan, and then go to Siegfried.
2: Okay. I think it's important for every single person of all ages to be involved in the climate movement, of course, because it's going to affect every single person. If you live on this planet and you breathe there, and I assume you do if you're listening to this podcast, it affects you, so you should get involved. But I think specifically, it's so important for youth to get involved because as this climate crisis progresses, it's gonna be affecting our future the most. And we also have a weird kind of power as we're like the up and coming generation. We're the next bankers, the next CEOs, the next workers. So we have the power that we get to shape our future and the way that we want to see our society. And although we can't vote, most youth can't vote, we can make our voices heard on social media and you can show up to actions like the one we're having today to show everyone what we want and demand for climate action.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I also think to directly answer your question, it's important for youth, specifically crucial, because I think youth have a very, unique way of viewing problems like this, because in a certain aspect, youth, especially like 18 and under sort of exists in a sort of limbo outside of the existing systems. So youth uh, have this sort of attitude, this confidence of, of not needing, not feeling the need to exist and operate as things have always been done. Right. So we have this unique perspective.
0: Right. That makes sense. So I'm going to throw a curveball question in here for you, which I did not uh, prepare you for. So if you don't have an answer, no worries. But I, I am intrigued interested to get your, both of your perspectives because the you, you both mentioned that you started coming into this movement during high school. And so I remember high school being a time of honestly feeling relatively disempowered. You basically feel like you're going through the machine of education and you're going to show up at 18 and then maybe you'll make some decisions. But I don't personally remember being like, yeah, this is the time I could take real action. And but obviously, that's that's has made, in some ways shifted over the last 10, 15 years. and and but still, I'm sure it remains a bit of a push and a bit of a difficulty to do. And so, if you had to give any advice to someone who maybe is just coming into themselves and learning about this moment and is moving and maybe they are fifteen or just getting into high, you know high school and being like, "How can I actually really engage change?" What would your advice be to someone who is in that position? And I will start to, to you, I guess, Megan, then you just disagree.
2: I don't know how much great advice I can offer to, because to be honest, a lot of the reason of why I'm involved in this climate movement is out of fear. And I'm not sure if everyone feels that on the same level, but that's the reason I'm here today. That's the reason I'm striking today and why I organized with Friday's Future Toronto ultimately is because I'm scared of my future and I'm scared of the climate crisis. But I guess my one piece of advice is just know your voice and know your power and i know people have probably told you that a billion times but like i honestly mean that like i mentioned before we're the next ceos the next bankers the next workers we're the next customers of the world and we have a lot of power and i don't know how to explain it any better way than that but like you're really powerful especially as a youth
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree with that and i'd also Don't underestimate yourself if you're thinking, okay, maybe I want to get involved with this, but I don't have a local chapter or I've never even heard of an organization near me. If there isn't a chapter, why don't you? There's no stopping you. You could start something. You could finish something. You could continue something stronger. I know it's often, especially early in high school, adults tend to treat you like you are like years younger than you are, that you're incapable, that you don't know anything, but you know something and you are capable. And if you don't know something, then you can learn it. And I would say, just like Megan said, you have power and you can recognize it and you often underestimate yourself. Don't. Moving back
0: to the, to the climate strike specifically, what are the issues that you want to bring to the forefront with the strike? Give you both the general issues that are being requested, but also maybe you personally as well. Mm. And starting with you, Siegfried and then to make.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, some of the issues that I want to be really highlighted during the strike, especially in specifically Canada, are an end to the fossil fuel industry and all fossil fuel subsidies, as well as land back and Indigenous sovereignty. So we are demanding that the government of Canada create no new fossil fuel projects starting in 2021, cancel TMX, and create a legitimate tangible transition plan for communities and workers currently working in the fossil fuel industry and also related industries that go off of them. We are also demanding that the government uh, introduce a full implementation of the 94 calls of action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The climate crisis does not exist in a vacuum. Other socioeconomic crises, crises such as racism, sexism, and class inequality, and more, and like they they all connect. Like I've said before and more amplify the climate crisis and vice versa. It is an old news that the climate crisis disproportionately affects BIPOC people and those who contribute least to it. Canada is a country that is built on the exploitation and the colonization of the land and its original and rightful inhabitants. It's no secret that our economy is designed to profit from that exploitation. Indigenous peoples and people of color are at the short end of that exploitation. This is an issue that is being haphazardly addressed by politicians and then so-called Canada has just continued to fund these issues quietly, right? Like it's just lip service that they're playing. Indigenous peoples are living at the forefront of these consequences every single day, at the forefront of the fossil fuel industry and of the climate crisis, yet are still repeatedly the ones getting the short end of the stick. The colonizers up the north have a climate debt to pay for the disproportionate amount of historic emissions and that starts with the increase of climate finance to implement anti-racist climate reparations and the cancellations of debts, especially for damage caused by extreme weather events, which we're already seeing, and providing adaptation funds that for those, for those severe communities.
2: Yeah, I think Stig really uh, went off and covered it all. And I think it's so important that we get initiative from all levels of the government. They all have a responsibility to play and for the provincial government, one of our demands is that they add climate justice into the Ontario curriculum for all grades. And I'm specifically passionate about that as a high school student. I see no representation about different issues like climate change, racism in our curriculum. And I think it's so important like, to learn about it. If we want to address these issues, we need to learn about them. And we need to give youth the resources to fight for the change that they want to see.
1: If I could just add on to what I already said, that's okay. Yeah, cause I I went off specifically on Canadian stuff, but I also personally, like as a personal touch, what I really am passionate about is the agriculture industry. People often very, very much underestimate it. The larger agriculture industry is the number two contributor to the climate crisis. As we already know, beef, huge, huge emissions and not even the land it contributes to deforestation as well. If I would to tell people like one thing to do to like slice your impact on the environment in half or more, stop eating seafood, stop eating red meat if you can. Again, if you're possible. It just, it takes it down and plastic pollution because the seafood and the plastic crises are intertwined very, very tightly.
0: If you had a message to that newly elected government and those in power, what would it be, starting with you, Megan, and then then secret?
2: Think about this often. Every time I get off of the meeting or with Friday's future Toronto or before I go to bed, because like I said before, I'm actually really scared of what my future will look like. But if I was speaking to them directly, I would ask them, do you believe in, because the science is clear, and the recent report by the UN panel on climate change has solidified what we've known for decades, that we are running out of time. I would tell them to stop making blind targets, stop making blind target targets to reduce emissions, that clearly just ignore the science. Like you have all these scientists that have studied this and dedicated their life to this for years, and you're ignoring their recommendations, and you're ignoring what will give us all a livable future. Stop making empty promises because there are lives and futures on the line. Um, just please step up, do your job because we legitimately don't have a choice.
1: Megan's a lot nicer than I am. If I had one message to people in power politicians, my message is your lip service does not save lives. You personally are entirely responsible for death and destruction that is happening right now, in the present. You personally have the power to save lives and end destruction. And every single day, you actively make the decision not to. Is your money that good?
0: Finally, if folks are feeling similarly as the two of you are and want to get involved, both maybe in this strike and more generally with the Fridays for Future Toronto movement, how
1: can they get involved, how they can join? Starting with you, Siegfried, and then- Yeah, to get involved as an organizer like myself or as Megan, you can visit our website, which is fridaysforfuture.org. You can also sign up as a volunteer, so not a full-time organizer. If you don't have the capacity, don't have the power, don't feel like you want to, it's no problem. Or our Instagram page, which is at Fridays for Future, T-O, as in Toronto. Or you can do a quick Google search to see what kinds of climate groups there are near you, if you're not in Toronto, there's plenty of chapters around. And on a personal level, it's important for everyone to remember that you personally are not responsible for this crisis, but rather the colonial systems in place and the large corporations in power are. That being said. You can still reduce plastic usage by buying reusables and things like wooden toothbrushes. You can, if possible, go vegan or start by going vegetarian. And you can financially support organizations like ourselves or other groups that are on the front lines of the climate crisis.
2: Thank you. I think SIG covered most of it, but I'd say... um... It's not a matter of how you can join, but when, because there are endless amount of resources, especially today with all of these organizations, Fridays for Future, organizations such as Fridays for Future Toronto. It's not a matter of how, but when, if you decide that this is something you're really passionate about and you see the urgency of the climate crisis, just get involved. It's not that difficult. And you'll see once you research one thing or you join one action or you help poster one day it just snowballs and then you're part of the climate movement
0: amazing i love how you all make it uh sound so accessible and, and so easy to do because i agree it's, it's been my experience that the moment you do one thing suddenly more opportunities begin to sprout up and show up and so thank you both so much for being here do you either of you have any sort of last thoughts or, or last calls to action that you want to get out deep before we go to music break
2: I say one thing is take what some of what we say to heart and remember it. This might just be a podcast to you, just something fun to listen to in the morning. But this is like really urgent and important, and I really hope that this message reaches people and that you take action. And hopefully, see you at our climate strike today at twelve thirty, Queens Park. <laughs>
3: it is the the first massive uh fridays for future school strike for climate in how long two years basically two no not two years
0: i mean the biggest one the biggest one that was on the street was in 2019 oh
3: my goodness but
0: no wait ali talks about one that he had in november There was a really large one planned for the April, right right Mm. before uh, everything Mm. got shut down, but.
3: Okay, and that's happening right now as we speak. No, it starts at 1230. Okay, 1230. And now we're just gonna take a second with Stefan and Lauren and myself, mostly Stefan and Lauren, to talk about the results of our beautiful, wonderful electoral process, which wrapped up uh, early in the morning early morning tuesday yeah right
0: where, where the election stands now there are still a few seats when we are talking that have not yet been called but the short version is that we're almost in the exact same place as we were before uh, a liberal minority they want 153 seats they're leading in five more so might end up with 158 the conservatives despite actually getting a slightly higher vote share than the liberals end up with only 117 seats the block have 33 the NDP of 24, but are leading in one more, so it might end up with 25. And the Greens get two. Interestingly, the Greens not the same two, in that uh, Paul Manley lost his seat and Mike Morris and Kitchener won his seat. And so, odd fact: they, while they may, may keep the same number of seats, it's actually a different person. Yeah. Uh, and Elizabeth May won the other one, of course. Kitchener
3: pulled through, and they were all extremely excited.
0: Yeah, they were On very CBC.
3: Excited. They were jumping up and down, yelling.
0: I mean, Mike Morris has been at this for like. Literally the last six years, all he's wanted to
3: do. I um, could tell by his hat. Yeah. He's a green.
0: Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, so we... Uh, Lauren, did anything change? What's your takeaway? Thoughts?
4: Um, thinking of words to describe what I was feeling on Monday evening. Um, Bored, angry, incredulous, um, lackadaisical all come to mind. I was like so confused slash so furious when CBC called the election at 10 25 after days of people being like we're not going to know till Thursday and it was like well how do we how do we know now how is it the same how is nothing different um I really really like in some ways I'm totally and utterly and completely relieved that the conservatives didn't get into power even in a minority government that truly would have been disastrous for the climate like we cannot under we cannot overestimate how brutal that would have been for the next like this important decade of climate action that we are in right now that being said I'm endlessly annoyed that we all had to go through this process over the last like month and a half and I know so many people are because Like you just like we are in exactly the same situation we were beforehand, maybe not exactly I was talking to somebody else in the climate movement and they made the good point that like coming out of this we did get a couple really cool new commitments from the liberal government. There's going to be new mandate letters coming out and that's always a great leverage point, but at the end of the day, it was like oh cool elections are a sham. This is also stupid. And that's ultimately like, that is, if I'm being honest in my heart of hearts, what I feel also, I'm a little bit disappointed that Paul Manley didn't, um, keep his seat. I didn't realize that until you told me right this second. So that's disappointing. Cause like for all intents and purposes, like Paul Manley was a cool dude. Sorry to see him go. Um, also like, yeah, obviously like not every riding went the way we wanted to disappointed that Paul Taylor didn't get his seat. As of right now, I'm still, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, has Anjali, um Apadurai's riding that she was running in in Vancouver, Granville, has it been called yet? Because it was like neck and neck. It was sitting at 34% for the liberal candidate and 34% for her for ages. And I mean, a lot of people were really gunning for her because she's so cool. She's so rad. She has such fantastic politics. She's very much like a legitimate climate organizer and activist. And she was going up against like a real estate mogul with something bananas like 26 properties in in Vancouver so like even though like the overall outcome of the election feels stupid and the overall election feels stupid there were a few like very specific writings that were really cool and awesome to watch um regardless of whether or not they actually turned out the way we wanted them to um so like there are always some silver linings you can pull out. And like I said, we got some good promises as well. Like specifically the liberals talking about a cap on on um, CO2 emissions from fossil fuel companies. That was good. A renewed commitment to um, eliminate fossil fuel subsidies. That was also good. So, so we have some good stuff to push on. I'm just so annoyed that it took us this many millions of dollars and this many weeks of stress to get us there.
0: So it looks like it still has not yet been called as of when we record this on Wednesday, uh, and Jolly is still down about 200 votes out of 14,000 for each of them. So, so yeah, so that's cool.
4: a writing that won't be able to be declared until all of the mail-in ballots come back and are counted,
0: I believe. Yeah, that one's very close. And yeah, I, I think the the couple of takeaways that you had there, I think, are are quite spot on. There were options, you know. Honestly, even a few more of the really cool people who are running, had they flipped, would have been would have been lovely to see, you know. And that would have been a nice way to get some more climate champions into into Parliament, because I think that ultimately is a is a strategy that has uh, worked and makes sense, you know, to just basically find the people who really care about this issue and get them elected into the into, in the, into it. And and I'm I'm personally struck. I think the I think i my my main feeling is relief, I think, because I, I think that ultimately is where I land on it because I think there's a Seth Klein article that came out, I believe it was today or yesterday, basically says that like this is the four years of determining whether or not we are going to do our fair share on climate. And I think that's true right like like as we a couple a couple weeks ago we were sort of bemoaning the fact that a you know that a, that a majority government could last basically the entire window that we have to use up our all of our carbon emissions or that we left it if you if you understood us having a carbon budget and so i do think ultimately that i'm sort of like hopeful that we will get a a real push to really take this on I think this is the moment honestly here's I guess this is may, maybe this is my biggest takeaway is that if the liberals are truly who the liberals say they are and if the liberal partisans say they are and if all of the people in the world who endorse the liberal plan say they are, are right we will see incredible action over the next few years because there's absolutely no reason for liberals being pushed and propped up by the block, the New Democrats and the Greens cannot pass ambitious climate action. There's absolutely nothing stopping them. And if they pretend something is stopping them, it is only themselves. And so this is really, for me, this is the, you know, put your cards down on the table, step up to the plate. And when you run again, be able to run on the platform of things you actually did, not things you said you will do, despite having six years to do them and not doing them yet. That's sort of where I my takeaway. But you said those.
4: Yeah. No. I'm just. I'm so ready to like move past the election and just like get back to work. And like, I swear, I am not. And I know, like, we are not. This is not an episode, like a show of like liberal shills. But at the end of the day, like, what I am reminded of when you're when we're put in situations like this, where we have a liberal government, at the end of the day, like. I am reminded that like as organizers, as activists, when we vote, we're usually you're you're voting not for the person that you're actually like so so freaking excited for you're voting. You're you're choosing your opponent, right? Because no matter who's in who's in office, you're always going to want to push them to be as as ambitious as physically and economically possible. Right. And at the end of the day, I would rather have a liberal government as my opponent than a conservative government as my opponent, because history tells us that even though the liberals are not perfect, um, it's very it's a very neoliberal incrementalist approach to climate action. There is still more leeway there and more to and like more ways and more room to push than there will ever be with a conservative government, regardless of how many like quote unquote climate plans the conservative government trots out in front of us. So.
3: Yeah,
0: it's because and it's because in part is the liberals have made it their brand. The liberals have made it their brand that they are taking cl- cl- climate action seriously. That was you know the conservatives, while having a plan, were never going to be moved by how good their plan was. They weren't going to pick up more votes that way. They weren't going to secure another another majority that way. You know that was never going to be the way that they are to be moved. And so when you have a party that is claiming to do it as well as possible that's, it's much more movable than, than a party that's, you know, I I'm, I still remember when, uh, after Doug Ford won, the sort of deflation of climate action or, or of, of of the climate activists at the time, because there was just no hope. No one believed you could move him for these four years. And so people found other ways to move around. Activists sort of discussed different tactics. And actually in the interview that we are about to go to, uh, with Ali Rajo, she discusses the fact in the way that young people are beginning to think about other levers because of how devoid of leadership the polit- political space feels.
3: What other levers are they?
0: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's pressuring banks, um it's 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 trying to go after like teach the teachers pension fund here in in ontario uh to get them to divest you know it's finding other ways and other people to sort of be pushing because it it, they're beginning to feel uh, hopeless honestly on on in terms of pushing the the federal government which honestly should be scary for the liberals and for canada more general like if if you've lost the trust in youth that their vote matters because you aren't going to do anything that should be a wake-up call to to all parties that they have to figure out how to talk to these people and make them believe that their issues are being taken care of
4: yeah it almost reminds me of how this was this is before my time before i started kind of like quote like working in the climate movement but something that i was told was um when Harper was elected there was a bit of an exodus of like climate nonprofits and climate organizing groups from Ottawa to Toronto because there was just this like Th- there was there was no way to make anything budge in Ottawa within the federal government. So that's when you got a whole bunch of organizations like physically relocating their headquarters from downtown Ottawa to downtown Toronto, because it's like, instead of focusing at like the political hub, the national political hub, you're instead just gonna feel like focusing on the cultural hub and the way changes can be made through those alternative avenues like you discussed. Anyway, um, so yeah, curious to see what happens going forward excited to like get back to work and stop fannying about with election stuff and um ultimately really stoked that the the youth are out in the streets again today because we need them to be there and we need to support them so get out if you aren't if you aren't out already if you're not listening to this while you bike downtown to take part and support the youth in a march get on it
0: This is our very special climate strike episode on September 24th, and we are thrilled to be joined by Ali Rajo, an organizer from Pride is Future Toronto. Welcome to back to the show, Ali.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Last time we spoke, I believe, was right before the massive strike that happened in 2019. And so obviously COVID has thrown some curveballs into the last couple of years' plans, but it's so great that the energy has sort of returned and that we're able to take to the streets once more. But for those of you who may not have heard that interview two years ago, maybe you can give us a bit of a backstory. How long you've been working with Fridays for Future, and then sort of what inspired you personally to get involved in the climate strike?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I've been working with Fridays for Future Toronto ever since it it started, really. I was one of the folks at the very beginning. And that started about a year and a half ago, no, two years and a half ago, um, in December 2018. Um, And we had kind of this progressive buildup from about 30 people in front of Queen's Park at at that first December 2018 strike to something like 50,000 people in September 2019. So right, right after actually the the last federal election. And, and since then, I mean, as you mentioned, the pandemic uh, has kind of halted our, our public activities, but we still have had a lot of movement building. That September 2019 strike really put us on the map, really put us as credible stakeholders, put young people as folks that had to be involved in any climate conversation. Um, And so since then, that's that's really the work that's been happening.
0: Awesome. And, and, And what personally sort of what was the spark that led you to dive in?
5: I had been involved in human rights activism, environmental rights activism from a very young age, but it was always at my very local community level. So in my school, you know, with people right around me. And then when I moved to university and I did on-campus organizing around sustainability, it felt so small and so insufficient compared to the scale of the disaster. So I was reading the science and I was realizing how doomed we were if we didn't take more action. And uh, it really created this kind of anxiety to do something bigger. And that's when I started hearing about Greta's strikes that were picking up in Europe and that were already becoming very big in Europe. And so I looked for folks in Toronto that wanted to do the same. And that's when I found a lot of adult allies that were willing to put their energy and trust behind me really in in helping to create it. So I really came to this topic from a human rights perspective. Initially, it was from doing work in South of France on refugee rights that I heard about climate change. And then Really, it's when I realized that we needed something to scale that I joined a movement like Fridays for Future that really tackles systemic issues instead of more like lifestyle changes.
0: Awesome. And of course, in the previous interview, we heard a lot about what specifically is going to be happening today. So I'm curious if we can sort of get maybe more bigger picture sort of understanding from you in regards to sort of where we are in regards to youth involvement. And in, I would say both the environment, but also sort of the greater context of the election that we that has just occurred and events like that. And so for our listeners, we are recording this before the actual election. So I'm not going to ask you to respond to the election results because we are not psychics. However, I am curious if you have any big takeaways about this sort of experience of going through the election and, and sort of what you've seen from the parties and what your response is to that.
5: No matter who is actually elected on the 20th, I can be sure that my response will be there's not enough climate action and it's not bold enough because none of the the platforms, none of the candidates and really none of the, the conversation, even from folks outside the actual candidates, has been at the scale and with the degree of urgency that we actually need. Young people during this election and Keep in mind, this was a very short election period and folks, especially younger folks, were just kind of having worries around, are we going to go back to school in person and things like that? So there was a bit of a difficulty in organizing young people around this. But the predominant feeling was, where's the climate conversation and where's the meaningful climate conversation? Because- the words climate change have been said during this entire period, but then we hear a lot of buzzwords. We hear a lot of the, you know, net zero. We hear a lot of numbers and pledges. We hear very little tangible plan, very little strategies. We don't hear a lot about how deeply the folks have thought about it. And, and really, are they actually going to be leaders to get us through the crisis and to a safer world? Or are they just going to? Do what they've done in the past uh, at all levels of government which is uh, wait for us to push very strongly on one item to do a tiny bit of progress so that's kind of my current reading of this election is that there's a huge leadership gap i mean there's just there's we're lacking a lot of leadership and there's a gap in the way uh, canadians have been feeling about the climate crisis which is really you know this security issue this really overwhelming kind of safety and health issue. And then the way it's been talked about by a lot of governments, which is uh, market opportunities, and, um, you know, kind of things that are are not actually the concerns of most Canadians.
0: No, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the ambition gap between what's necessary and what is being talked about. And even the, the credibility being sort of given to insufficient plans by civil society has been I think to me maybe the biggest disappointment of this of this election series especially from a climate perspective but shifting back towards the climate strike in a climate sort of Friday's future movement you've obviously been around it in the last couple of years here in Toronto and then of course paid attention I'm sure for it in the world and so I'm curious how you see the sort of the future of the youth climate strike movement and yeah what what should we expect to come next
5: we were really on the rise uh before the pandemic right we had had a series of successful strikes obviously in september but then in november we had a very strong follow-up and then we had continued momentum and there were big big plans for an april one before the pandemic demanded of us that we stayed home and so i think at first we really were blocked and we tried to transition online and, and we did transition pretty successfully with new strategies so you know we tackled perhaps other institutions like banks that could be tackled from home, uh, pushing people to divest or question their banks. We also had virtual climate strikes and we, we had a lot of digital campaigning that happened. And now we're, we're having this need and this really this feeling uh, that we want to go back to in-person striking because there's really nothing equivalent to physically blocking business as usual. There's nothing as disruptive as as doing this kind of physical uh, blocking. And so that's where immediately our minds are at now that it's safer. We're not really safe completely, but it's safer to go outside and do these things. Um, I think the next steps are gonna be us seeing if we get some real commitments from obviously this new government for us in Canada, but at the global level during COP, do we have some real action? Do we have something that, that proves that we've been heard? Or are we essentially being asked to have to take it further? And I don't know what further means, but I can really testify that right now there's a growing impatience. And so if governments are not gonna do it, I'm seeing a lot of youth uh, considering how their careers are gonna be climate careers, how their banking, whether it's taking student loans or starting their savings account or stuff like that are gonna be climate oriented. Asking uh, you know, their, the, their teachers' pension plans to divest. I mean, are we just gonna have to turn to other institutions maybe even focusing more on industry and private sector, because there's just, again, this leadership gap and this, this missing in action of, of our governments and our elected officials. Those are big question marks. And to be honest, I think it's scary when you don't even know who to turn to, to ask for action. I mean, it's a it's a very scary time.
0: Yeah. It's interesting hearing you reflect that because even in my conversations, sort of with just people in the climate spheres more generally, there does get to be the sense of kind of concern in regards to how little is being done and and who to turn to. If we are being told that what is being put forward is the best we possibly can do, and also that we are told by the scientists from the IPCC report and everywhere else that what's happening is not enough, you do run into this, well, if it's the best we can do, but also not enough, then something much more fundamental has to change.
5: I find myself, and I'm sure many other people, youth and non-youth, can relate to this, I find myself so frustrated that, you know, I studied at university uh, with public policy and economic trainings and all these skills are needed to actually address the climate crisis. And instead I'm using all these skills and all my energy and all my time fighting people so they, th- so they can fight the climate crisis because I don't have that direct access to addressing the fight. And so I think there's also maybe gonna be that surge for us to directly um, fight the crisis if we can't kind of go through the regular institutions that are supposed to be doing that.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so we sort of touched on it a little bit during that question, but I wonder if we can dive in a little more pointedly, I guess, is what I'll say. What is the biggest misunderstanding between the youth climate striker and older generations is? You can take that question either to be older generations within the environmental movement, or just actually older generations, whichever one you think is more relevant or interesting. Because there does seem to be a disconnect, at least in my experience, even as we talk about, say, how people's reactions to election platforms, you know, the Old hat energy climate people are pretty happy with what is a per plan that will not keep us below 1.5, let alone you know, and maybe not even two. And yet, for youth who will have to be alive when these things are happening, you can imagine how that hits a bit different.
5: Absolutely, I think even talking to folks that are well literate on on climate science, it's frustrating to see that exactly what you said. Some folks are happy with plans that are actually not aligned with the science, and that's always difficult to hear. I think it's a reminder that a lot of the people that have been in the movement for a long time, perhaps because it's exhausting to do this kind of work, start being happy with the bare minimum. And, you know, that might be a philosophy for life in general, be happy with the small, the small amount of things you have. But when it comes to life or death situations, we really can only be happy with the things that will keep us alive and, and keep us alive well and all on a planet, not just plants that are going to sacrifice the global South or even some of, of the folks in more remote communities of Canada, for example so that's kind of the first one is is definitely not just assuming that getting anything is good enough or uh, you know not kind of being satisfied by the bare minimum the other one is this recurring uh, issue of how intersectional do we want to get the youth climate movement is really really willing and enthusiastic about continuing to push the intersectional aspect. Yes, indigenous rights deserve in our climate platforms. Yes, racial justice is a climate justice issue. And for us, that's fundamental and not something we're willing to go back on. For others, when things get a little difficult, when there's some negotiating, I think people are very willing to drop the justice part and just keep the climate, keep the, okay, we'll do the environmental stuff. Let's forget about the rest. It's too messy, too complicated. And I think that's also where there's a division because We really mean it when we say leave no one behind. And I think we understand that there's no point in getting a few environmental policies that will look good for the next few years, but lead to a continuing system that that just doesn't uh, value most people's lives. And so I think that's where there's a big, I guess, gap between generations or between uh, groups of activists, perhaps beyond generations.
0: Yeah, of course. I think within any movement, there's gonna be a bit of bleed over some, some old people, uh, you know, understand the youths in a way that uh, others does. And and there are, I'm sure young people who have, well, we know for a fact, there are young people who are very happy to walk directly into three degrees warming. And so that's not a, oh, exclusively a, a generational thing. And so if there are young people listening, again, we are broadcast across at least seven or eight campuses around Canada. And so there's likelihood that some young people are catching this. And then maybe they're just getting into university. Maybe it's a couple of weeks in, And they're beginning to imagine themselves like yourself as you sort of got into university, being like, oh, maybe there is something bigger I can be a part of. What tips would you give to any young people who are looking to get involved?
5: Organize your campus and organize with your unions. That's something that I didn't do when I was in university. The way I explain it is because there was no strong Toronto-wide youth movement. For me to kind of link an organized campus to but if you're already in a city that has a strong central group whether it's in toronto and montreal and vancouver i think i'm pretty sure calgary and edmonton have strong ones too ottawa as well all of those have already those very strong citywide ones and so organizing your campus so that you can now you know mobilize them when the central group does something is hugely impactful and then i talk about joining your unions because There a lot of student unions are missing the most progressive students because the most progressive students want to organize in other groups. And and that's totally fair. But if you have the opportunity, if you have the capacity to actually organize with your unions, these are really strong skills and these are much needed links that we need to continue doing between social justice movements and those organized, institutionalized groups on campuses. So I would really say that. If you're not yet an organizer though, and so (laughs) that sounds kind of wild to just organize or, or unionize. I would really, really say uh, to not be afraid to reach out and to reach out to many, many folks. So it can be reach out to older students and tell them, you know, I'm interested in these topics. Have you heard of groups that are organizing? It can be to your professors. A lot of professors are actually plugged in and know about groups that exist. And so it's it will be really interesting to kind of create that conversation. And the last thing I say is kind of I guess audition uh, for different kind of groups. And I say that because Some groups are very focused on direct action, while others might be really more on some like policy research and analyzing things. And you should not kind of force yourself into an activist group because you think that's activism. I think activism comes in pretty much every form that that you have the skills for. And so really find a group that fits you because it'll make your experience actually enjoyable instead of kind of forcing activism in your life because you're thinking it's the moral thing to do. There are ways to do it in a way that also pleases you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think finding whatever's right for you is such an underrated activity.
5: Maybe right. just to add to that, it, it also is kind of a moral responsibility for you to do give a try to several forms of activism because I've seen too often people tell me, well, I'm shy. So the reason I don't do activism is because I don't want to do like you, Ali, and scream in a megaphone. And I find it to be a bit of an easy way out because that's not actually the only thing you could do. And so don't use it as an excuse to say that's not the form I want. Maybe give a try to, to several forms before kind of ruling out activism in your life.
0: Right. You do one thing and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. But you don't realize that there's actually a whole breadth of options available to you. So last question, because, you know, we are coming up towards the end of the show, which means we're coming up to about... When this is airs on CIUT, it will air at noon on the 24th, meaning that we are half an hour away from the climate strike happening in at least Toronto. Can you give us like sort of a, a call to action, encouraging folks to get out or be in, get involved and then also what the demands are of this strike?
5: If folks can get to Queen's Park at 1230, please do. And then we'll be marching around the city. So there's time to to join that march. If folks can't join for a variety of reasons, I really encourage you to amplify whatever uh, pictures or, or demands you have and send those directly to your elected officials. And I really mean it. Say, hey, I heard there was this massive climate strike today. What's your response to it? And Don't think, okay, well, I'm sure that the Fridays for Future team will have already messaged them. It's really important that they hear from you as a constituent. So amplify us by kind of using us as a a conversation starter with your elected official. That would really be my my plea uh, to anybody that has to stay home. In terms of demands, we have demands at all levels, and I'll try to use as little isms as possible in here. But at the federal level, what we're hoping to get from the new government immediately is a commitment to phase out of fossil fuels, first by stopping the expansion of the sector right now in 2021, and then by having a gradual phase out over the next decades. With that, we would like them to have a real strategy to transition the workers and communities away from those greenhouse gas intensive industries. This is really the the justice part. This is the part where we have a plan to make sure people have jobs somewhere else, and we don't just... um, phase out of industries when investors decide to leave. At the provincial level, we need to stop investing in any energy that's not renewable. Ontario continuously keeps uh, going back to gas fire plants or or tries to to take away funds from renewables, and that's unacceptable. And we we have to absolutely divert from that. At the federal and the provincial level, there's reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. That means implementing UNDRIP principles at at both these levels in the way that that works. I really mean it when I say Indigenous sovereignty is climate action. We know Indigenous peoples have so much of the knowledge that we need to address the climate crisis. And so the first step to having them be able to, to help us in this crisis is giving them the rights that they're asking for. And then I'll just add that at the municipal level, we're asking for much stronger and much more reliable public transit. We would like it to be free and accessible for all. That is, uh, as you can imagine, a a form of climate action that is very direct for a city. And then we're asking that there's a solution that's provided to the, the housing crisis, including a stop to the eviction of uh, encampments. For us, it's unacceptable to to kind of use this idea of protecting natural places like parks to actually remove homeless folks from there. And so we're really strongly opposed to these practices by the Toronto Police and we're, we're asking that, it, that there's an immediate stop to those.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ali Wazhou. Often I will give the speaker or the interview that I have at the end of the show one last word. So, like, you'll be your last words and then it'll go to the end of the show music. And so any last words to to inspire folks to to get out or before I go this is Ali Rugeau, organizer for Fridays for future. Climate strike is happening today, which is september twenty fourth at twelve thirty Queens Park if you're in Toronto and a- affiliates are happening across across Canada so if you're able to attend those, please do take it away ali
5: I'd like to just uh flag that no matter who you are, no matter the skills you have, the climate movement still really needs you and your energy. And so you're invited to join us wherever you are and however you can.